Cool. So one of the things we've been doing as a church is just something that churches should do every now and then is to uh, just sort of evaluate the big picture of where they're at. Um, and one of the ideas that's been really, really important to, to us over the last several weeks, and it's shown up in some of the preaching pre-Christmas and, and in a lot of conversations that we've had, is this idea that God is calling us to uh, invest in our time together as a community, the time that we spend together as a church family in Sunday morning worshiping and in small groups, and to really start to see that not as a consumer experience, not as a, a way to consume some of God or as a way to uh, just be blessed or a way to just take in something uh, in, a, in a sort of a passive way, but uh, to come into that experience of, of interaction with one another and interaction uh, with Jesus as something that's actually going to transform us. The idea is that when we meet Jesus and when we connect with him, uh, we're, we're just not going to be the same. If he is who he says he is, and, and we are by far small in comparison, when we encounter that living, powerful, awesome God, then, then he is going to change our lives. He's going to make us different. He's going to make us new. He's going to do something with us. Uh, I tend to believe that change is going to be positive, but there's lots of reason to fear it because how many of you know that we're, are, are you just scared of change sometimes? Like, welcome to the, the club. Like, I, I don't like change all that much. Uh, when somebody uh, comes and drops some news on me that I wasn't expecting, my immediate reaction is, in my heart, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's, that's what it is, because you have destabilized my perfect little world all around me, and I just would not like it to be changed. I just like this nice little bubble that I'm in. It's just great. Thanks for, thanks for ruining my day. But, that's, but that's, that's just not a reality for how life is. Life changes and, and things aren't in, our, in control and certainly things aren't under control when we meet the God of the universe. He is certainly not under our control. And so we've been talking about that space where uh, worship, this experience of us gathered together, meets uh, the mission that we're on, that, that as he transforms us in this space, wherever we meet with him and wherever we meet with other Christians, he calls us out into the world. And that experience out in the world where we're uh, agents of his change in the world also informs that time when we're together. So we're not looking at this whole experience of following Jesus' church and mission over here. We're looking at church and mission as, as two things that are deeply interconnected. And it's just really important uh, for us just to sort of unpack that. But along with that, we've been examining our core values uh, at a leadership team level, uh, at a staff level. We've been going through them. Doug uh, spoke on this idea that uh, we believe in Christianity as a relationship with God, not as uh, a religious experience uh, last week. But as I've been looking over that and looking over our core values and looking at how we communicate a more active relationship with Jesus in terms of how we express our mission statement and our vision statement and all of that sort of writing that a church does as it sort of reinvents itself and re-expresses uh, who it is. Uh, the piece that's been on my heart more than almost anything as I've looked at our core values document is actually a piece that's not there and, and a piece that I think needs to be written in. And that's something that we're going to talk about together. Uh, we, you know, we believe in worship, we believe in uh, relationship with Jesus, we believe in being authentic in terms of how we relate to one another, all of those things. 
it's a pretty fundamental and a pretty core and a pretty important belief for us to come to the point where we understand that we can be changed. That's one of our core values, one of our core understandings. Uh, we can be changed. That the way you are, the things that you struggle with today, that the things that you wrestle with now are not the things that you're going to wrestle with in, in 10 years or, or they shouldn't be. Right? God wants to transform us. He wants to change us. Now, as a church, in terms of how we've written our core values and all of those sorts of things, we try really, really hard to make this a, an environment that is seen to be non-judgmental and seen to be loving and seen to be accepting, right? So that's not something that we want to, to lose or something that we want to ruin. Like a church can be in a place where uh, its understanding is so aggressively you have to change your life you have to do this that that it comes across as as judgmental that there's not a respect and love for the beauty that God has created in people either right so there's a there's a balance in in how that works what we don't want to become is a place that is uh in your face uh with a with a kind of an attitude and a posture of evaluating one another all the time Right? That's, that's not who we want to be either, right? But at the same time, it has to be part of our ethos to be uh, understood as, as a place of, of transformation. God loves you just the way you are, a little bit too much to leave you that way. Right? God loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. And that's what we all want for our journey. We, we don't want to be a stone wheel when we can be like Michelin. You know, when we can have rims, you know, when we can, we can really get that power to the ground, right? We don't want to be uh, uh, something that, that is archaic and, and broken and, and, and whatever. So how do you do that? And how do you see that in the scriptures? How do you see the God who loves you just the way you are? He loves who you are. He loves who you made, made you to be. And at the same time, he's in this process of, of transforming you. And uh, the idea of time seemed really important to me as I began to unpack the scriptures around that idea. Is that um, God sees us, not just in the moment that we're in, not just in the pain that we're in, or the frustration, or, or the grief, or the goodness that we're in. He doesn't just see us in that moment. He sees us in the past, he sees us in the present, and he sees a future for us that is yet to be revealed. And if we understand the God who sees beyond time and beyond our moments, we uh, are able to uh, have enormous hope as people. And that's kind of a little taste of what we saw at the men's retreat. Uh, we saw an environment where, where men were really, honestly, authentically creating an environment where they absolutely knew that they were safe and accepted absolutely safe and ac accepted. And that was the incredible beauty of the environment that, that was created there that Doug fosters around him whenever he does ministry. You are accepted and, and you are loved. And at the same time, in that safety and in that sense of acceptance, uh, there's an invitation from God to, to call people forward, to open up the broken parts of their lives and confess things. That's a big part of what happened at that men's retreat was just a confession of uh, the, the cracks, a confession of the brokenness, a, a confession of the wounds that were inside of us, and, and a recognition that in order for us to move forward as people, those wounds need to be healed. 
but, but there had to be a safe environment for that to happen. And then we left the retreat with an incredible sense that uh, as we confessed those wounds, as we accepted the love of God, that he was moving us forward into something that was going to not only change us, but change the world. So there's this aspect of, of past and this aspect of present and this aspect of, of future. And I just want to show that to us in the scriptures. Let's just look for a second at Genesis chapter 1, uh, 26 and 27. Let's just read this together. This is the beginning of creation. This is God's beauty and God's design for humanity. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And I like that phrase, our, in our, right? That's a nod to the Trinity. This is God speaking, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What we have to understand as people who are in a process of, of, of transformation is that God has already invested an incredible thing in you. He's invested his design in you. He's made you uh, a, a, a masterpiece of design, that there are elements that he has put into your life in terms of gifts, in terms of talents, in terms of your physical makeup. Uh, I, I mean, Anna, of course, is the perfect image of, of a human woman. Um, we can see her eyes are just so beautiful and shining brightly, and her hair is just, wait, hold on a second, I'm just distracted there for, for a moment. Uh, yeah, whew, I, I, I'm going to need some time, uh, we're going to have to get a room or something. Uh, but, uh, she, you know, God's made something beautiful and awesome in you. Uh, they were praying for me at the retreat, and they were like, I, we really see Jesus in you, Aaron. I'm like, Jesus better lose about 100 pounds, uh, you know. <laughs> And, and that's, what it, that's what it's like, right? There's an image of God in us, but there's also a sense in which that, that image has been distorted and it's been broken, right? Uh, we've been broken by our relationships. We've been broken uh, in, our, uh, in, in the hurts we've received in our families. Uh, so many stories at the weekend of, of people just wrestling with some of their issues in terms of connection with their parents or lost parents or, or dads who died and left them, them young, like, like pain that comes from that brokenness, but at the same time, we really honor and respect the incredible beauty that is in people that, that God made in them. And so our lives are all about sort of trying to separate what is this beautiful thing that God has created in me? What has he intended for me to do? What gifts has he put in me? What, what is awesome? And how do we sort of weed out the things that, that are impure, that are broken? How do we straighten what's What's, uh, what's, what's not right. And it's in 2 Corinthians that we see how God does that and, and how that process works. I mean, we see it all over the scriptures, but uh, there's this beautiful picture in 1 Corinthians. So, so just remember this thought. In the image of God, he created them. So God created you in his image. And then let's read 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 19. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I'll explain that in just a moment. Now the Lord is the Spirit, 
And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You were made in God's image, and you are being transformed into his image. So there's a way in which that, that process, while the design of God is, it has, has been placed in you, while the blueprint has been made in you, while the, the beauty of God has been, been put inside you, there's a way in which we still have yet to be transformed into that image. And that he is in the middle of transforming you into his image. And we see this picture uh, from uh, the, the verse, verse 16 there. Uh, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's a picture from, I mean, it, it's so much to go into, but it's a picture of the story of Moses. How many of you remember Moses? Old Testament dude, white beard, staff, plagues. I'm sure he had a white beard. I, I don't know, but it isn't every movie he ever saw, so it has to be <laughs> true. And, uh, and plagues and frogs and leading the people out of the... Uh, Egypt and into the promised land like an ancient like historical dude if you're if you're a non-christian here or you have no grid for the bible just think like santa claus but more serious and not wearing a red suit that's kind of what we got for for moses there and and so he is a guy who came to lead the people and he realized they needed some boundaries and they needed some guidelines and his relationship with God that was sort of determined Moses goes up the mountain to spend time with God face to face and connects with uh, this this law and writes it down on tablets here are the rules and we think of them as the 10 commandments right just this sort of outline of the law these 10 commandments and, uh, and these, these tablets that are on stone. And from Moses' encounter with God, face to face and heart to heart, the, the glory and beauty of the Lord, as described in that story in, in the Old Testament, is his face was like shining with the glory of God. Like shining. And I think some of you have probably met people like that. Who uh, There are people that I've met. There's this old man, Costa Dare, when I went to Bible school. And he was just one of these sort of epic missionary uh, worshiper of Jesus, follower of Jesus dudes. And he was probably 80 when I knew him. And he would get up in the morning and he would run 10 miles and do 1,000 push-ups or whatever it was and just pray and seek the Lord. Just one of these epic men of God. He was just like, he was a stocky little man. He was Lebanese. And he was like, ah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you almost couldn't look that guy in the eyes. You almost couldn't look that guy in the eyes because he'd been in the presence of God and he was, he was clearly, a, he was a holy man. He was a holy, you can look me in the eyes, no problem. <laughs> I'm telling you. Right, but, but he was like a holy man, like a man who really invested his time in the presence of the Lord. And there was something about him that shone like Moses shone like that. And you almost couldn't look him in the eyes. And that's what it was like for the people of Israel. They couldn't look Moses in the eyes after this encounter with God because God was so holy that had somehow transferred to Moses. We are unholy. We can't be in the presence of holiness, so a veil comes over our eyes. And that's what it's talking about in this story. Uh, we feel so veiled. We feel so different from God. We feel so separated from him. Like, he's so awesome. What could he possibly want to do with me? 
how can I relate to this God who is so good and so holy and so perfect? And what Paul's referring to here is that through the cross, through what Jesus has done for us in taking away our sin and cleansing us and making us whole, it, it is possible. We don't have holiness on our own, but we have Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' holiness, because he's taken away all of that 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 sin, all of that stuff that ruins our relationship with him and made it possible for us as Christians to, without shame, look God in the eye and look him in the eye. And that's the process of transformation. As we take the veil off of our, ourselves, as we, as we realize what Jesus has done for us, we let him look uh, at the brokenness. We let him look at the woundedness. We let him look at our, our smallness. And, and in that, he transforms us. He transforms us and he, he, he makes us new and he takes all of that stuff is away. And so Paul says this in verse 17, now where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So now we are no longer afraid to look God in the eye. We're no longer afraid to relate to him. That veil was torn. That veil is broken. We can connect with him heart to heart. We're free to be in the presence of God. We're free to be in the presence of God and, and to be in the middle of this process of being transformed. And he goes on to explain this in verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And I love that word contemplate. I don't always love the way the NIV um, translates that, but there's something about uh, the glory of the Lord. Like we just, we just, it's just, it's too much for us. We just can't like take it in all at once. There's something of an interactive uh, nature to that. There's something of a wrestling with our relationship with God, like back and forth, like think about it, pray about it, uh, connect, like wrestle through this process of getting to know him better. And that's, that's not an easy thing. So there's, there's a process of, of grappling with, of, of chewing on this relationship with God that we're in the middle of. And so as we contemplate the Lord's presence, as we chew on that, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory from a stone wheel to mag wheels. From glory to glory to glory to glory. And that all happens in the contemplation. That all happens in the wrestling. That all happens in the back and forth. Because in reality, it doesn't just work like something that's a magic charm that happens once. We come for the very first time as a new believer into the presence of the Lord. And we risk for the very first time, yeah, I'm going to spend time with you, Jesus. I, I, I'm going to turn my life towards you. And then we get filled with shame and we go away and we fall and we stumble and we come back to the presence of the Lord again and we look him in the face and we wrestle. And, and, and as we saw at the men's retreat, like there are decades and decades of that wrestle sometimes before uh, we get free in certain areas of our lives. But we do get free and we are being transformed which comes from the Lord who is spirit. And I just love this image at the beginning of chapter three, and I don't have it up on the screen, but um, Paul writes it like this. He says, talking about this ministry of the spirit, you show that you are a letter from Christ. Your life is a letter written from Jesus to the world. You are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry but you were written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. 
not on tablets of stone like the law, but on the tablets of human hearts. And God longs to write his relationship with you, not in a rule book, to not see this book as a rule book, but to see it as, uh, as something that informs our hearts. And the story of God gets written in, and our flesh gets written in our life as he interacts with us. But sometimes, if you're anything like me, that process of being transformed is never quite satisfying. And it's never quite complete, is it? How many of you wrestle with that sense that, oh man, there is a lot of work to do? (laughs) There is a lot of work to do. Uh, We talked at the men's retreat about it, like peeling layers off an onion, like... Like, man, we're going to peel this sucker off, and then there's another layer. We're going to peel this off, and there's another layer. Peel this off, and there's another layer. So how do you find hope in that space as a broken person, as a person who's not perfect, as a person who is in the process of being transformed? We see incredible hope in the, in the scriptures in the end of the story, and we see that in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, we are now children of God. And listen to this. And what we will be has not yet been made known. What we will be has not yet made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have seen this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We shall be made like him. We are made in his image. We are being made like him. We shall be made like him. And from God's perspective, all of this is happening right now. All of this is happening right now. So how do we live with hope in the middle of the churn of being people who know that we need to be transformed? We, we have hope because we know that he has a plan. He has a design for us. From the very beginning of time, he formed you in, his, in your mother's womb. He made you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He's, he's got that uh, figured out for you. He put incredible beauty in you to be revealed and to be released and gifts to be shared with his church. He's done something awesome with you to celebrate and enjoy that as broken vessels who can be used by him on the journey. And then to know that at one time in the future as we've given our lives to him, that work will ultimately be complete. Ultimately be complete. Ultimately be fulfilled. We shall see him. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so all that's left for us to do is to simply turn our eyes to the face of God. To turn our eyes to the face of God. 
wherever we're at. I'm going to read you just a little excerpt here from uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's actually from, uh, sorry, it's from uh, C.S. Lewis's writings, but it's, uh, it's actually from uh, Prince Caspian. And so at this point in the story, uh, Lucy has uh, been uh, met by Aslan. Aslan is the lion character in the story who uh, is, is representative of Christ. And they're all on a journey. They're trying to get somewhere. And Aslan appears to Lucy and says, let me lead you on. Let me, let me lead you to where you're supposed to be. And, uh, and, and she sees him, but, but she's really nervous about what everybody else thinks. She's really nervous about, uh, about that. And so she, she just kind of downplays the fact that she's seen Aslan. Well, he comes to her finally and, uh, and, and kind of like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, uh, let's, let's deal with this. And this is where he meets her. Lucy, Aslan said. You have work in hand, and much time has been lost today. Yes, wasn't it a shame, said Lucy. I saw you all right. They wouldn't believe me. They're all so... From somewhere deep inside Aslan's body, there came the faintest suggestion of a growl. I'm, I'm sorry, said Lucy, who understood some of his moods. I, I didn't mean to be slaying the others, but it wasn't all my fault, was it? The lion looked straight into her eyes. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy. You don't mean it was. How, how, I couldn't have left the others and come to you alone, could I? Don't look at me like that. Oh, well, I suppose I could. Yes, and it, I wouldn't have been alone. I know, not if I was with you. But what would have been the good? Aslan said nothing. You mean, said Lucy, rather faintly, that it would have turned out all right somehow? Oh, but please, Aslan, am I not to know? To know what would have happened, child, said Aslan. No, nobody has ever told that. Oh, dear, said Lucy. But anyone can find out what will happen, said Aslan. If you go back to the others now and wake them up and tell them you've seen me again and that you must all get up at once and follow me, what will happen? There is only one way of finding out. Do you mean that is what you want me to do, gasped Lucy? Yes, little one, said Aslan. Will the others see you too, asked Lucy? Certainly not at first, said Aslan, later on. It depends. But they won't believe me, said Lucy. It doesn't matter, said Aslan. Oh dear, oh dear, said Lucy. And I was so pleased at finding you again and thought you'd let me stay and thought you'd come roaring in and frighten all the enemies away like last time. And now everything is going to be horrid. It is hard for you, little one, said Aslan. But things never happen the same way twice. It has been hard for us all in Narnia before now. Lucy buried her head in his mane to hide from his face. But there must have been magic in his mane, too. She could feel lion strength going into her. Quite suddenly, she sat up. I'm sorry, Aslan, she said. I'm ready now. Now you are a lioness, said Aslan. And now all Narnia will be renewed. Come, 
We have no time to lose. And that's how the journey of transformation works. We don't want to go and make a decision to follow Jesus apart from our friends. Uh, we don't want to uncover the brokenness of our lives in the presence of God and, and let him mess with that. We, we wrestle with what that means in community and what that means in our friendship. And there's something powerfully important about this partnership we have with God. We are being transformed. We cannot transform ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. But we have to say yes to him changing us. We get to say no. And so that's what's left for us. Will we choose to turn our eyes towards Jesus? Will we choose to let him uh, peel another layer off the onion? Will we choose to bury our head in his mane and let lion strength flow into us? And then will we choose to tell the story of the transformation of our lives to our friends that they could be transformed to? And that's how the partnership works. He offers, we accept we tell the story. You have been made in his image. You are being made into his image. And the whole world will be transformed and know the glory of the living God. And don't you want to be on that journey with him? Let's stand up. Lord, we come to you and we just confess we can be changed. We can't change ourselves, but you can change us. And we say yes. We say yes. Will you set us free from our addictions? Will you set us free from our fears? Will you set us free from our isolation? You set us free from all of the, the habits that we use to, to cover and hide our brokenness behind, all of the ways we medicate ourselves. And will you let us see you clearly face to face for the sake of relationship, for the sake of friendship with you? Set us free from just carrying all this stuff we've carried for so long. For everyone here who has wrestled with a pattern or an issue in their lives uh, for week after week after year after year after year and just given up, would you infuse them with fresh hope, fresh hope that you can change us? Long-held addictions and fears, would you, would you move them aside and get to the heart of the issue in our lives? Would you infuse everyone here with hope? And would it be utterly clear to every heart in this place that at the very center of what you're doing is your love? That you love us. You love us, Jesus. We, we just receive your love. We say yes to it. We say yes to it.
make us healthy, make us new. Take us forward on the journey. Get anyone unstuck who needs to be unstuck. You're King of kings and Lord of lords, and you want so much for us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.